0: Happy Father's Day to you dads out there. Let's all make sure to love on our dads. Being a dad means a lot of things. Like last night for me, I, I fell asleep on the couch, and being a dad meant I, I woke up at 4 in the morning and saw a little 3-year-old Luke laying on the floor on a blanket, and then at 5.30 I woke up and he was laying on my, my lap. It also means video games with my older boys. I, I'm thankful when I was growing up I had a pastor that that said... Fathers spending time with their children playing video games is quality time. <laughs> yes. Now, before you get all judgmental, that's not all we do. We, we play board games, too. Like yesterday, we were so happy. We saw our older two boys on their own pull out Sorry, the old board game, and play it. We like to go hiking. We went kayaking this week, but, but we do like video games. I, I grew up on them. How many of you dads play video games? Let me see. Thank, yeah, I see a couple hands, willing to admit it. <laughs> Some, sometimes I get pretty competitive. There's a game called Mario Kart. It's a, it's a racing game. And yesterday, the, the boys beat me a lot, but there's one track I really love. It's called Moo Moo Meadows because there's a lot of cows on that track. You've got to dodge them. We did Moo Moo Meadows, and guess who won? Dad won. Because there are all these cows around and I rarely win, I got excited and I said, yeah, boys, suck milk. (laughs) (laughs) And they looked at me kind of like, did dad just say that? And I had this thought, like, maybe I should have said drink milk. I don't know, but it felt good. It felt good to finally beat my boys. But... There's a thing about dads, like, especially as we get older, sometimes we get a, a little bit out of touch with realities and, that our kids know. Like, they like to mock me when we, we play that game because I mispronounce one of the characters' names, which takes me back to my growing up years because the previous generation always did that when I was a kid. They always thought it was Super Mario. Did you know anybody? It's not Mario, it's Mario, but I was doing it with these guys. If you don't know, Mario's got an arch enemy. And I call him Wario. And the boys always laugh at me like, Dad, it's not Wario, because if it was Wario, then it would be Morio. It's Wario. So I, I'm one of those dads that love my boys and love being involved, but I'm getting to that age where I'm not always in touch with, with the realities they deal with. But one, one thing I, I am in touch with, I may say Wario wrong, but That war at the beginning of Wario is something I am in touch with because I've been in the Word of God. I'm going to talk about war this morning. It's something I want my boys to know. I want my family to know. I want our church to know. We are in a spiritual battle. If you are a Christian, you need to to know that. As one man put it, this is is not a pleasure cruise we're on. We are on a battleship until we reach heaven. This is war. I'm in the the passage this week, Ephesians 6.16, where Paul says, "In, In all circumstances take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Last week, Pastor Paul did a wonderful job pointing out that we need to find our strength in the Lord. We cannot do this on our own, but the thing we can do is choose to put on the armor. And he talked about the belt of truth, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. But I want you to listen to something. Maybe maybe you wonder, or maybe this is news that we're in a war. Listen to these words. Is God's plan to create a new society, the church? Then those spiritual forces of wickedness will do their best to destroy it. Has God, through Jesus Christ, broken down the walls, dividing human beings of different races and cultures from each other? Then the devil, through his emissaries, will strive to rebuild those walls. Does God intend his reconciled and redeemed people to live together in harmony and purity, then the powers of hell will scatter among them the seeds of discord and sin. It is with these powers that we are told to wage war. Timely, right? But you know when that was written? 1979 by Pastor John Stott. It's a spiritual war. And I think we need to remember that because Satan laughs every time we think we're fighting against other human beings. He's like, yeah, let them fight amongst themselves while we can do our our dirty work. He laughs when we try to fight with other human beings with the same weapons they use rather than using the spiritual weapons that God has provided. He laughs when we try to fight the battle in our own power rather than in the power of the Lord. It is a spiritual battle. Daniel read the passage that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, with, but with these spiritual powers of wickedness. I don't know if that word comes across in English in our culture today. Wrestling doesn't seem all that serious, right? We were watching some guys practice wrestling at the, the park the other day, and the only thought I had, man, was, boy, I hope they're both wearing deodorant, you know, because <laughs> you're, all, you're all up in there. But it doesn't seem like this life or death matter, but John MacArthur wrote long ago that sometimes in the culture Paul was writing to, a wrestling match could be fatal. If two competitors came together and wrestled, and one of them was, was able to get the shoulders of the other one down at the contest, the one who lost by having his shoulders pinned would lose but would go on with his life. But if his head was pinned to the ground, sometimes the cost was death. Wrestling was sometimes a life or death matter in the the culture that Paul wrote to. That's why he says you need to be armored up for this hand-to-hand, breath-to-breath, in-your-face combat with the enemy. you got to be armored up. I don't know if we talk about that enough. We talk about a lot of other stuff. Sometimes we focus on on weird stuff. Like I, I read a story a couple weeks ago that, that kind of made me laugh. And, and if you're conservative, it, it's on Fox News, so you know it's true. <laughs> <laughs> it was about these police that, that went to a nudist beach and confronted people there for not wearing masks. <laughs> I thought of all the things to focus on. <laughs> This, this, this is where we've come, right? But I thought about, man, don't, don't we sometimes do that in the church? We, we focus on, on silly things. And all the while, we're, we're, we're there totally exposed to the enemy because nobody's asking, are you armored up today? Have you put on the armor of God for this spiritual battle that you are facing? Are you laying there totally exposed? to what the enemy wants to do in your life. Paul, Paul gives us a challenge in Romans 13, 11. He says, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. If that was true 2,000 years ago when he wrote it, how true is it today? How true is it today? So I want to talk about three pieces you have to put on in this battle. The first one is the, the shield of faith. Some of you teens in here, who's the first movie character you think of when I talk about a shield? Captain America. He's not a teen, he's an elder, but he got it. Right? You think about that big round shield with the patriotic stripes and the star. And, and there were different kind of shields when Paul wrote. He, he was chained to a Roman soldier. He was probably familiar with the things Roman soldiers had. There was a small shield that the soldier could attach to his arm. And he could use it in hand-to-hand combat while he used his other arm for, for sword fighting. That is not the word that is used here. The word here is talking about a shield that was actually about four feet tall and two feet wide. And because people throughout history were smaller, what that meant was a person could, could hide their whole body. And why did they need that? Because enemies would often take arrows, light them on fire, and shoot them. And they, the, the pitch that was on those arrows could spread and, and cause massive destruction, kill the soldier, So they build these huge four-by-two shields. They glue two pieces of wood together, cover them with leather, sometimes put iron on the edges, and what would that leather do? It would absorb the fiery dart and and put it out. There's one ancient battle where one guy counted 220 shafts in his shield at the end of the battle. That that led one man to say his shield probably looked like a roasted porcupine. (laughs) This was a serious weapon you had to uh, be aware of and be, be ready for. One of the things that was really important about the shield, often guys would link up. The guys at the front would link their shields together and form this wall and walk forward together into the onslaught to help protect each other. Sometimes they'd even form something called the tortoise where some in the middle would put their shield on top and the guys on the four sides would put their shield out. It was like this shell to together protect themselves from the enemy. Now, now what, what is Paul mentioning the shield of faith for? Well, let's read. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. How many of you ever felt like that roasted porcupine in your battle with Satan? Satan. Your shield's full of those shafts. Whether it's disappointment, depression, doubt, fear. You can name more. Temptation to to lust or lie or, or steal. Doubts about God. Is he real? Does he love me? Is salvation even real? I got a friend this week that I sent a message to because Two weeks ago in Ohio, his, his wife of 18 years left him by email. He got an email and she was gone. Now, I don't know the whole story, obviously, but I felt led maybe it was because I was reading this passage this week to write my friend. And I just said, I'm so heavy hearted for the pain that you must feel right now. I believe the enemy is barraging you right now. Now that we're two weeks after this, he's barraging you with fiery darts. He is seeking to destroy you, to burn you to the ground with discouragement, fatigue, and and a sense of futility. I just encourage him, listen, no matter how weary your arms get, please keep on lifting that shield of faith. If you can't raise it, just, just crawl under it and lie down. God is your shield. I felt the the need to encourage him to to remind him of some of God's truth. Because what is faith? It's the shield of faith, right? It is trusting God and trusting his promises. And sometimes we do need to link shields together to to make it through. So I, I reminded him of some of God's promises. I said, listen, buddy, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Because I'm sure the enemy's telling him, after this, man, God, God, you're so broken. God can't use you. Lie. Lie. I told him, if God is for us, who can be against us? Because I'm sure right now he feels all. When your wife is against you, it must feel like everyone is against you. Every word of God proves true, I told him. He is a shield of those who take refuge in him. God is your shield. The Lord is a God who daily bears our burdens. Another promise from Psalms. He is there with you carrying this. He is close to the brokenhearted, And he hears their cry. I told them all this. Sometimes we need to link shields. And I want to say that especially to the young people. Like, it, it, this battle is, is real. The enemy fires these darts. You may have heard of Hawk Nelson's lead singer, 20 years in a Christian band, and he recently came out and said he doesn't believe it. The, the enemy's darts had, had found its mark. There are people I went to Bible college with. One guy and his wife we hung out with. We'd have parties together. A couple years ago, came out that he, at his church plant, was discovered having an affair with someone was not his wife. The whole church plant crumbled. His wife was was broken. And I look at that and say, but for the grace of God go, go I, go you. I know another guy that wrote a book about church planting. When this church next door journey started, I went to one of his conferences where he was preaching. It was a, a book called The Man, The Message, The Mission, Church Planting. And I learned so much. Recently, One of Satan's darts took hold in his life and he committed suicide. A guy that had taught so many. The the darts are real. And what I want to say to the young people in this room is expect them. Hey, just because there's darts coming, that doesn't mean, oh, I got this question. I'm out of here. That is the time above all time to say, hey, every one of us in this room has doubts sometimes. Every one of us has questions. That's when we pull together. And walk together and put our shields together. And that's why Paul says, encourage one another daily. We need each other. So that's not the time to run. If you've got questions, that doesn't make you a bad Christian. If you come in with a question about God, I, there was a season where I even doubted if he was real at all. If you come in with a question about God, we're not going to turn red-faced and say, how dare you? We're going to say, yeah, I know. I've been there. Let's process through this. Let's lift up that shield of faith. What does his word say? And let's put our trust there. That shield of faith. So important. Helmet of salvation. Daryl called me out for a plaid shirt this morning. He said, next week we're all going to wear plaid shirts. He he knows plaid is uh, one of my favorites. So if you want to wear a plaid shirt for the party next week, (laughs) we'll get a group shot. But I'm going to call him out. He was a a professional pitcher back in the day. And I wonder, how many of you would be willing to face a professional pitcher without a helmet? (laughs) Sam would? (laughs) He may be the only one. Why? Because one of these (laughs) hits your head at 90 miles an hour. It could kill you. Your brain's in here. Vitally important. you got to protect that. But you put one of these on, and, and guys go out there hopefully again someday, and they'll stand against that pitcher. If it's important in baseball, imagine in ancient warfare, there was a weapon called a broadsword that people held like a bat. It was like three or four feet long, and you swing it with two hands. If you didn't have a helmet on, archaeologists have found a guy whose skull was cloven almost in half. You would never go out into that battle without the helmet. It was this iron or bronze that hid almost all of your head except for your eyes, nose, and mouth. It wrapped around the, the cheeks even sometimes. had a little linen inside because it was so heavy. What does what Paul call our helmet? He calls it the, the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation, that I am saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That because of his death on the cross and his resurrection and that I have turned to him in repentance and faith, I am saved today and forever. God's going to carry this through. That's the, the helmet of salvation. Well, that's so important, right? Because what happens sometimes, if, if you're like me, doesn't Satan, the accuser, like to come to you and remind you of stupid, sinful stuff you've done in your past? Doesn't he like to bring that up and say, how could you really be a Christian when you got that in your life story? And maybe as as a human, you start to wrestle. You put on that helmet of salvation. Ephesians 2, Paul said it this way, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That tense of that word means something happened in the past when you came to Christ. You, You repented and put your faith in his death. And what happened in the past has ongoing consequences. You got saved then, and you're still saved, and God's going to carry it on to completion. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5 calls this the hope of salvation. Not only did it really happen, and not only is it true now, God's going to finish the job. So important that you know it rests on God. Because our feelings go up and down, right? How many of you have noticed that? Some days you wake up feeling saved, like, yeah. Other days, not so much. You feel low, and you wonder about things. That's why I love what one rural preacher once said. Somebody asked him, when did you get saved? He said, I got saved on Good Friday about 2,000 years ago at 3 (laughs) p.m. Now, you know what he was saying, right? He had to make that personal. He had to come in faith to receive that. But he's saying it rests not, not on me. It rests on what Jesus did on that cross when he said, it is finished. Here's what I want to say. When, when Satan comes and he starts bringing those accusations from your past, what you need to do is take, take that accusation and say, yes, you're right. Walk it over to the cross. You see, see this cross right here? This is where my Savior defeated you and where he paid for my sin. So yes, you're right, I did that. But I am covered in the blood of Jesus, so get off. Get off of me. You are disarmed. You're still fighting. You're still fighting, yeah, but you've been disarmed. And let me tell you something more. Let me tell you where I got this helmet of salvation. Let me tell you about my God. Paul probably had this passage in Isaiah in his mind about God. Isaiah 59.15 Truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Timely, huh? The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm, God's own arm, brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate in a helmet of salvation on his head, he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. God put on the helmet of salvation, not because he needed protection, but so he could bring salvation to people. And today, for believers, he says, Here, put this on. I saw it this week. One of our own that you can pray for, David, is in the ICU right now. He is stable. Uh, But he's had some ongoing health issues that landed him in there this week. And I talked to him on the phone last night. And he said, I'm not afraid, Pastor. He said, I know whatever happens in here, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. And I said, man, that is so what we're talking about tomorrow. That's the helmet of salvation. And I said, man, thank you for sharing that. There are other people on that floor that, that need that, you know, Keep holding on to that. It's important that we remember the cross. Many of us are learning more about what Juneteenth is, the, the day those, those folks in Texas, the slaves finally realized that we're free. What an awesome day. What an awesome day to realize you're free. I, I think about some of the things going around with statues being torn down, and, and I don't know where you stand on all that. I'm willing to have a conversation civilly about confederate people myself you may differ with me on that but when you tear down a a statue of Ulysses S. Grant the man who led the forces against slavery you lost me because what's going to happen you tear that down and you lose the the history of what happened you lose the fact that yes we live in an imperfect nation but we're a nation that that has listened and is listening, and yes, we got room to grow. But why would you tear down the monument to the, the one who led the forces that, that led to the abolition of slavery? We need to remember him. How much more important that we remember the cross? That we remember where we were set free from our sin. It is for freedom then that Christ has set you free let yourself no longer then be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. When Satan comes and tries to tie you down, you take him to the cross. Don't forget it. Last but not least, Paul tells us to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I thought about this, and I thought like, man, a lot of us sometimes can fall into a, a pattern where we're not in the Word very much. And, and we know this story that was told on Sunday or this story that was told by a preacher on YouTube or, or this story from my life. And, and I'm a story guy, okay? Stories are great for, for illustrating the truth of Scripture. Jesus told a lot of stories. One thing that separated His stories from mine or yours is that His stories are the Word of God. But I'm telling you, when, when that's the primary food we feed on as opposed to the Word of God, I think this is what Satan sees on the battlefield. Ooh. Ooh, he's got a feather duster. Ooh. Again, I'm not against stories, but he says here, you need to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This, this is one that Jaden made a couple weeks ago for a school project. And because uh, he's got a pastor for a dad, we put a little Greek on there. It says, macarine <laughs> to pneumata, sword of the spirit. And, and this is about the size of the Greek word sword that Paul uses. It's not that big three or four foot baseball bat sword. It's, it's this one for a close combat, up to 18 inches long. You get in that hand-to-hand combat. You need the word of God. You need the word of God, the objective truth of the Word of God. I thought about it, and many have gone to the example of Jesus. After 40 days of fasting in the desert, Satan comes up. And three times, you know the story, Jesus says, it is written. It is written. And he goes back to Deuteronomy three times. It is written, and he overcomes Satan by the Word of God. Right now, I thought about... what. Why was the word of God so important there? Well, think about what Jesus was experiencing. Yes, he's fully God, but he's also a fully man. He's tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin, right? He was in the desert. He's been fasting for 40 days. Experientially, how do you think his body is feeling right now? Weary, hot, torn down. He goes back to the objective truth of the word of God. You know that when, when you're down. So some have used the, the acronym HALT. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Watch out. Watch out. Those are the moments where you find yourself susceptible. Those are the moments where you don't need to go with your feeling. We don't need to be like the guy in Christianity today in the late 70s. There was an article about sex outside of marriage, even in the Christian church. And they interviewed a guy who had had over 50 sexual partners. And you know what he said? He said, well, God wants us to have an abundant life. And I'm sure that extends to the sexual realm too. That was his justification. (laughs) That's what happens when we're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or just human and try to use our own logic instead of picking up the sword of the spirit, which says be sanctified, be pure right? But I think about Jesus' example there, and I think how easy would it have been for any of us in that moment. I'm hungry. Satan says, make bread. I'm not going to wait on God's timing. I can do this. Boom. I'm going to do it now. Satan says, jump off the temple so people recognize who I am. Man, it's been a long 40 days already. It's a much longer road to the cross. That sounds pretty good. Or Satan says, worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And we look and say, man, again, that's a long road to the cross before I ascend to heaven. It's awful tempting. But Jesus didn't go with any of what he was wrestling with humanly. He went with the objective word of God. That's the same thing we need to do. This this became apparent at our missional community a couple weeks ago. We were talking about the fact that the Christian life does have experiences with Jesus. If you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, you could probably think of an example or two where you have experienced the power of Jesus in your life. That's not bad. That's just part of the reality. We heard stories around that circle of how someone saw their spouse come to Jesus because they they were praying for them before they got married. Others shared other experiences. You, you've had moments like that, but we also talked about the fact that you cannot base your walk with him on experience alone. Why? Because, again, you, you have those days where you're riding high. And, and it comes easy then, but you also have those days where you're riding low. That's, that's where you need to come back to the objective truth of the sword of the Spirit, right? That's what keeps you anchored in those moments. Are you in your sword? Are you using your sword? Because one of the things I think about, we have an awesome weapon here, but if it's in the sheath, it ain't going to do any of us any good on the battlefield. And we live in a culture that is becoming more and more illiterate of what's in here. And I think about the reasons for biblical illiteracy in the church, and I don't know all of them, but I thought of a a couple possibilities that I think are out there, and I've seen some. One is, especially in a new believer, there's an ignorance that, hey, I, I go to church to get that. On Sunday, I, I listen to what the pastor shares from that, and, and that's good. No. This is daily bread, okay? So there could be an ignorance. There could be, among those who have heard the importance to get in here, A laziness, a laziness that knows it, but just isn't willing to sacrifice the time from whatever else would have to be laid aside to get in here. If that's the case, I want to go on and call that just in light of what we're talking about with a spiritual battle. It's not only lazy, it's stupid. It's stupid. If we know we're in a spiritual battle and we know this is our sword, we need to pick it up. But I also think there are some who have bought into lies that this is not understandable unless a preacher tells me what's in it. Okay, Jesus tells me that He gave us the Spirit in every believer as our teacher. Is is He unable to teach you? Is He not powerful enough to teach you? Is He not a good enough teacher? Now, does, does God give us teachers in the church? Yes, but don't buy the lie that you cannot understand this. I I was challenged by something. Many of you have heard of H.A. Ironside, Harry Ironside. He was a preacher in Chicago. Powerful preacher. Got a lot of great books out there, too, about the Word of God. By the time he was 14 years old, he had been through the entire Bible 14 times. 14 times. By the time he was 14, I'm like, and there's some of us saying, I can't read it. Look, about five pages a day on average, and you get through this in a year. Like, man, it's there. It's, it's ready for the taking. Let, let's uh, take them up on it. Let's uh, get rid of this and, and pick up this. Okay. I want to close. E.K. Simpson gives us a good challenge. He says this. There's, there's a holy war afoot with powers of darkness. And who so qualified to animate the host of God's elect as this scarred veteran of the cross, Jesus himself? The captain of our salvation cut his way through the hosts of hell, massed for his destruction, unaided. And his crucial victory assures that of his redeemed, clad in his own everlasting strength. I'll leave us with a verse and a chorus, Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. I want to close with one of my favorite choruses from Martin Luther. Many of you know he, he was at the center of the Reformation, speaking truth to the Catholic Church at the time. But did you know he he faced an intense battle with Satan, even as he went through that? to the point where one day he actually picked up his inkwell as he was writing and and threw it in the corner. He said things like, I spent a week at the doorway of hell. That's how he felt in the warfare he was getting from Satan. You know, he wrote a mighty fortress is our God. And he said this in one of my favorite verses, though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. You know the word. Jesus. Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who take this battle seriously. Uh, Lord, I I, I think about the shield of faith, and I I can't help but wonder. I I think of my friend in Ohio, and I wonder if there are others here who this week has been a barrage from the enemy, maybe this morning. Fear, doubt, despair, temptation to hate someone or, or pursue a sinful path. You know, Lord. Please give each believer the strength to to lift up that shield of faith. You you offer us that strength in you. Help them this morning to believe you, to trust you, to look to your promises and, and trust you. Help us to stand together. Maybe some of us need to rally together. Maybe some of us need to link up shields with somebody this morning and say, I need help. I need prayer. That's what that prayer corner in the back is for. And not just there anywhere. Here during the week, let's link together. It's a battle. I think about that helmet of salvation. Lord, on the one hand, I don't want anybody in here thinking they're saved that's not, running around on the battlefield, thinking because I grew up in church or I do these good things that I'm right with God. It's only in Jesus. So come to Jesus. Put your faith in Him. Turn repentance and faith and receive His grace. Put on your helmet. But I also don't want folks who who have salvation, who have truly come to Christ, to be subjected to the lies of the enemy and give in to them. I want them to boldly proclaim the blood of Christ on their lives and tell him they're forgiven, they're set free, and to walk out living like it. And I pray we have a church of people that even today, some of us need to make some decisions. I'm not going to leave that Bible in the sheath anymore. I'm not going to go out on the battlefield anymore with my feather duster. I'm going to get in my Bible. I'm going to aim to read it every day. I'm going to aim to memorize it. I'm going to aim to chew on it. I'm going to aim to live it in the power of the Spirit. Thank you for the armor you provide, Father. Thank you for the strength. Help us by faith to put it on. In Jesus' name, amen.